Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full-time, I am the founder of RAPID, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. Happy Monday to all of you out there listening. I hope you are making this Monday and this week an amazing one, and I hope that you will be as excited as I am for our very special guest today. I have with us today Ozzy Gonzalez, who is amazing in so many different ways. I met Ozzy in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, but he has his hands in so many different projects, and he is such an awesome representative of his community that I wanted to bring him in today to talk about all different types of diversity, equity, inclusion. So with that, I am by no means going to try to butcher his bio and all the projects he's into. I will just go ahead and hand it over to Ozzy. Welcome. So thank you for being here, Ozzy. Thank you, Emily. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, let's just start with talking about, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your family, about your history, and then what you're up to these days, because there's a lot. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I wear a lot of hats in town, Emily. Uh, let me start from the center. Okay. I am a uh, Mexican-American, first-generation immigrant. English is my second language. A father of two wonderful children. A husband. My wife and I have been married going on 20 years Ooh. now. I am, uh, let's see, going to the second layer. I'm going, uh, I am an architect and ecologist, and I've spent the better part of my career working in the fields of sustainability. Mm. And I've moved from environmental sustainability focus from the design side into social sustainability focus on the construction side mm -hmm. as of two years ago. So I've served as a diversity practitioner as a sustainability director and locally I participate as the board member of TriMet, our regional transit agency. I've served on our regional arts council. Uh, I serve on a few Hispanic chamber boards, uh, I should say chambers of commerce boards. And I am a part-time performing artist, <laughs> though I've put a lot of those things on the back burner lately yes, because I've yes. got my latest project, which I'm super excited about. I've launched a campaign to become the next mayor of the city of Portland. Yay! That is really exciting. So before you continue, what pushed you in that direction? Mostly the need, the seeing the need for change, seeing the need for us to go into new frontiers of solving the next generation of problems. I've long been a change maker, a meddlesome person that's always tinkering with the systems of society. 
And I've had many opportunities to do that in my career mm -hmm. as a sustainability and a diversity practitioner. Uh, in both cases, those are fields of, of careers that hinge upon looking at our current systems, our institutions, our policies, our status quo, and figuring out how we adapt them for the next generation of solutions. Mm. Yes. A few years ago, it was like figuring out what it was to have an environmentally responsible building. Mm -hmm. We created a lead rating system. And then we innovated all sorts of mechanical systems, lighting systems, green roofs, solar panels, and all sorts of things that we had to figure out how to turn into buildings. Mm -hmm. And in the f later, as a diversity practitioner, I was able to work on being able to change the makeup of who our pool of subcontractors are, mm -hmm. the people working mm -hmm. in the construction industry. I've worked to bring women and minority groups, underrepresented groups into construction. And in that, there's a lot of opportunities to push policy, to push practice. And all of that has led me to a place where I see our government agency here in Portland, Oregon, really needing some help. We need people in government that understand what it's like to experience a system that wasn't made for you. Absolutely. We need people that are coming at the culture of, of mainstream society from an outsider perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Because there's things that you can learn and there's things that you can teach when you start sharing ideas. Absolutely. And I feel that we need leaders today that are able to see the the need of people from different places the need from people from different cultures and that have one leg planted in what i consider the real world Absolutely. of having to get up stretch a dollar pay rent make payroll <laughs> you know feed the kids yeah. all the real stuff that all of us in the real world have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis i want to make sure that that kind of experience exists in government awesome yeah. that's amazing yeah um so we talk a lot about diversity and equity and inclusion and that's i think pretty much how we met is talking about that and how do we um how do we bolster that up and push that up and so here in portland a lot of times we hear the leading with race conversation being at the forefront of uh, organizations diversity equity inclusion efforts um, with that leading with race do you feel that intersectional equity takes away or detracts from the importance of racial equity? I don't think so because this concept of inclusion is not a zero-sum game. When we talk about inclusion, it's not that there's only four seats at the table and we have to figure out how to play musical chairs and prioritize who gets to sit there first and who mm -hmm. should arrive second. No, inclusion is about growing the pie, mm -hmm. growing the pie of possibilities. and. For that reason, I really don't think there is any reason to have to pick and choose a priority of what do we lead with first in inclusion? What do we lead with second? And so, no, I don't think so. Awesome, awesome. Switching gears a little bit, but staying on topic, as you know, we talk a lot about disability on this podcast, but including everything equity when I can um, around other identities and everything else. But this one's specific to your design background. When we look at the ADA and everything it has done for the, the disability community, especially this being the 30-year anniversary, which is very exciting, of the passing of the ADA, um, you're very familiar, way more than I am, <laughs> of what is ADA code, but then, and a lot of people listening will probably know the code, you know, the, 
the proper width between doors, etc. That kind of standard that design brings. And we sat on a panel for the Daily Journal of Commerce where this, this topic came up. But when we talk about code, I often uh, teach classes and talk about the, the beyond code aspect of it. And what do you feel ADA code is missing? Thank you for listening to the Human Is My Label podcast. My name is Marnie, and I'm a member of the Board of Directors for Rapid, and I'd like to take a minute to share some exciting news. Rapid is holding its first retreat May 1st through May 3rd of 2020. Its mission is to help people with disabilities accept, embrace, and thrive in their lives through fitness, wellness, and athletic performance. Rapid is currently recruiting participants for the May retreat, and spots are filling quickly. If you or someone you know is interested in participating, email Rapid at info at rapidoregon.org. If you are interested in participating as a wellness provider, also send an email to info at rapidoregon.org. That's I-N-F-O at R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N dot O-R-G. To learn more about Rapid, visit our website at rapidoregon.org. Thank you. That was set up for ADA, American with Disabilities Act, and it was triggered by the lack of access buildings had for people that were not able to walk on two legs. Someone that sat in a chair and had to roll their way in, mm-hmm. um, we're running into a whole different set of, of obstacles mm-hmm. because you know every time you change a level, <laughs> whether it's stairs or even a threshold between uh, a living room and a bathroom, Absolutely, present yeah. predicaments. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in a person that requires a wheelchair to move around and you don't speak English, mm-hmm. or you're a person in a wheelchair and you're old and you have dementia, all of those things add layers to the obstacles. So the ADA Act was really a focus on people that otherwise were fine mentally, had no issues with language, mm-hmm. had no issues with cultural bias, but simply had physical barriers. Mm-hmm. The focus has been primarily there, it has stayed there, and the evolution of ADA has simply been able to cover more instances of that situation. Absolutely. It's covered entries to the main lobby door. Mm-hmm. It's covered the way we design bathrooms. It's covered the width of doors, uh, as you've said, all of those things. Um, but the limitations of the ADA are simply that it's only looking at the physical barriers to people that are sitting in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. That's not the only kind of mobility that people have these days. Absolutely. And so we have to be cognizant uh, and even as wheelchair technology evolves, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. as the size of human bodies might change, mm-hmm. um, that presents another set of issues. So um, what ADA is missing is the intersectional lens for all of the physical uh, obstacles that occur, um, whether it's a mobility obstacle mm-hmm. or even just a cognitive obstacle of being able to read the way, what, uh, how you move through a space if you're colorblind. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. it, it, if you have, yeah, if you have visual impairment, if you have even uh, cognitive traumas, mm-hmm. um, there's things that can that can really affect you differently. Absolutely. And so if we don't put people with that lived experience at the table of, of an ADA conversation, we're going to miss all of those things. <laughs> Absolutely. I often talk about just the humanity of the ADA. You can tell me all the codes in the world, but until we put that humanity, that person in that seat to really be able to advise and 
and, and talk about those issues that they could be having experienced in those buildings. Um, awesome. So when we're talking to building owners um, and, and contractors can, and other designers also, um, why would building owners care about going beyond or want to focus or put priority about going beyond what is said in those ADA reg- regulations and codes? Well, because you don't just build a building to keep yourself from getting sued. You build a building for people to go inside and experience it. I love that, yes. (laughs) I mean, I think that's why. And you don't ever know who is going to be accessing the building you build. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't ever know what their obstacles are going to be. So you have employees, you have customers, you have your leadership, and any one of those categories could get into a moment in their life where they're going to have a mobility impairment and they're going to need to access it. So Absolutely. if you have a, a building that's not accessible to uh, someone in a wheelchair and your CEO is becomes impaired and, and needs a wheelchair, guess what? Your building doesn't work for your CEO anymore. <laughs> that's um, a problem. You know, and, and the same is true. And we shouldn't have to wait for that to happen. But mm-hmm. um, the same is true whether it's your customers or your clients um, or anything like that. Absolutely. And as we hope that the numbers change around employment of ADA, of, of, of folks with, with disabilities, we hope that, you know, this is considered more and more. Um, okay, so after the, the Daily Journal of Commerce panel that you and I spoke on, I had quite a few people reaching out, and so this is a, this is a great question to speak to that, asking, how do I find resources? Where do I go? Are there groups I can join? What can I do to become more aware in this space, where can I go to find those answers? Because I want to be intentional about it. Now I just don't know where to do it. Have you come across the universal design? Yes, I have. Cool. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. good. I, I, in architecture, uh, we've been talking about that in many areas, but I don't know outside of architecture how much people yeah. touch that. Um, so I'm glad that it's making it out of the designer world. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, definitely. and it really needs to, but uh, I think that's the first answer I would give anybody okay. asking that question, is go look at the concepts behind universal design. Okay. Because essentially that's what they've proposed to do, is go beyond ADA Absolutely. and look at the yeah. humanist angle. Yeah. And it's not a finished product by any means. The yeah. concepts mm-hmm. of universal design are evolving all the time Absolutely. as we learn new and new things. So I think that that's a really good resource. and. Um, there are there are design firms that specialize in universal design, and I would imagine those are going to be places that can direct you to good areas. Have you heard of um, architects or construction groups of any kind involving community in this process at all, as far as developing community advisory groups or that have, that would be able to speak or review plans or? Uh, walk through a site prior to have you heard of that happening anywhere? I have in the form of uh, when someone's gotten in trouble Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> when there's a potential lawsuit litigation there are uh, groups that will go and evaluate compliance mm-hmm. and funny enough sometimes more often than not the people evaluating the compliance are not mobility impaired people themselves. They yeah. just have the best knowledge of the latest codes. Okay. And so okay. they'll go and you know measure things to the millimeter and just mm-hmm. cover all of those spaces to say, okay. yes, you're fine, or no, you're not fine, and here's who we can blame in the lawsuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's So true. there's a that's lot of true. that. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, huh. There are 
some blips out there and and you know I this is a big world and I can't say I know everything going yeah, on yeah, out there yeah. but I've heard of blips out there of of programs that will give you an embodied experience mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. going in a chair or giving you a mobility impaired device and then taking a field trip absolutely and yeah. you go out and experience the world that way and then that helps inform a conversation about you know what were the obstacles how do we avoid them um, so there, there are instances of that but I, I would say it's not really codified awesome yeah yeah that's what I was I was looking into it for a couple of people and I didn't find any solid groups or meetups or anything that really focused on the design and also the construction aspect I know during the construction phases when they're actually in the construction phase you know, being able to navigate around the area without running into obstacles is often challenging for an able-bodied person, but also yes. um, if you're experiencing any other kind of um, disability. Um, in that same space, I <laughs> the funny story I like to tell around this is there's a beautiful building, and I won't mention it, which one it is, here in Portland, and I went to go into this building, and as a partially sighted, um, legally blind person, the the building's beautiful and it's all glass down at the bottom and it's clear glass i I don't believe there's any decals or any kind of uh, frosting or any kind of anything and for the life of me i walked up to this building and i could not find the door anywhere (laughs) because there was no distinction between it was just looked to me it looked like solid glass and i'm like where do I go in? And so this beautiful bazillion dollar building was built and I can't find the front door. So I thought it was really, and it happened to be a medical facility. And so it was very interesting to me to think like, does anybody think of that piece, these beautiful designs, how they could possibly, you know, be barriers or uh, <laughs> difficult for people yeah. to navigate? Yeah. So, and, and you never know who is going to experience that barrier. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it could have been the one that helped you build the hospital. <laughs> yes. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think a lot of the people think that only people with disabilities need access. But then we think of, you know, people using strollers and people who, you know, may walk on a regular basis, but when they're going through a museum, they may need a wheelchair or mm-hmm. assistance that way. And so they may not even think of what they need prior to getting to the building because that's not their typical situation. But once they get there, they realize how inaccessible it is. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting. Okay, switching back to your government hat. Okay. I think we kind of touched on this at the beginning and when we talked about intersectionality, but specifically, how does including everyone and focusing on inclusion and prioritizing inclusion in the government setting, how does that benefit? How does that change the dynamic that currently exists? Where, where are your feelings on differences, <sighs> diversity, <laughs> inclusion, equity in the government oh, setting? Oh, goodness, where do we start? The, the short answer is you cannot serve people if you have no idea what their world is. Uh, So uh, we have an amazing situation here in the city of Portland, and it's part of what's motivating me to step into government Mm -hmm. at this time. Our city's been growing quite a bit. Our city has a tremendous success of a lot of interest in our city, Mm -hmm. and people have been coming here from farther and farther away. Absolutely. The city, I don't think, was prepared for the amount of of diversity of thought and of of lived experience that's made it here today and at the same time our government institution has not kept up with all of that diversification happening Mm. within the city so 
we are quickly moved into a space where we have major gaps between the demographics of the agency itself and the demographics of the city it serves. Absolutely. So one of the things I want to do is help fill that gap. I love it. I want to start by looking at the demographics of our city. Unfortunately, we're in a census year. Yeah. So we're going to start learning a lot more about mm -hmm. who we are. That mirror that ho that we hold up in this year is going to help address whatever deficiencies are discovered. And so this is going to be, again, looking at intersectionality. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the pie of, of gender, age, religion, language access, and... Um, physical ability, mental ability, um, so many pieces of the puzzle that help us understand, do we reflect the city we serve? Absolutely. Yeah. And, if, and, and where we have those deficiencies, that's where we gotta look at our HR department, how mm -hmm. we fill those deficiencies strategically, mm -hmm. and without needing to wait to turn over an entire agency, um, we start building those partnerships in the community uh, with people that can help fill that gap while we address the inside workings of the agency. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so the one last question, and this one's going to be a big one, I think. Oh but how do we look at including people, like we were just talking about, and breaking down those attitudinal barriers? What do you think, and this is as purely based on philosophy most likely, what do you think that is the most important way to break through those attitudinal barriers around disability, but also around race and gender and all the other differences in humans that people may have biases against because it's not what we grow up with. It's not what we see on an everyday basis all the time. Um, how do we, how, what's, what's your philosophy in breaking through those attitudinal barriers and, barriers and especially in government? Well, I think it's high time we recognize that lived experience is one of the most valuable qualifications a person can get. Mm. There's many people out there with accounting degrees, for example, mm -hmm. and there's a huge difference uh, between schools get, offering accounting degrees. Mm -hmm. So the best we have when we're evaluating an accountant hire is gonna be if everybody applying has the degree, we start bringing in, so what school was it, <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. And that perpetuates not only the notion that formal education is the only thing worth valuing, mm -hmm. but on top of that, we put the bias of where did you get the formal education? <laughs> did it come from another country? Did it come from an Ivy League? Did it come from a community college? Yeah. And that starts bringing in barriers mm. and barriers and barriers that don't really tell the full story of yeah. what it took to get that degree. Yeah. Because if you're a single mom raising kids, going to community college at night to get your accounting degree while you're doing your job, you might be a way more kick-ass, pardon me, a way more <laughs> strong candidate accountant than the kid who came out, was uh, paid through an Ivy League education with a trust fund, mm -hmm. and got their accounting degree in four years at 25 years old. It On paper, they are a superior accountant yeah. by the by the filters of our bias of, mm -hmm. of mainstream mm -hmm. society today but when you layer in the lived experience component mm -hmm. the woman from community college the single mom accountant is going to be giving you a much broader skill set for absolutely. the same degree absolutely so i'd say we got to value lived experience 
Awesome. I love it. I love it. Okay, so this was awesome. Thank you so much, Ozzy, for joining us here. I'm really excited to have you as a guest on here. Just as any last remarks, any closing remarks that you want to say, anything you want to shout out to our fans, just go for it. Thank you, first of all, to you, Emily, for having me here to share this amazing topic. Of course. Uh, it's a conversation that's so big for mm. me. And for all of you out there, thanks for listening. My name is Ozzy Gonzalez, and I am running for mayor of Portland. Check out my website. It's ozzyforpdx.org. That's O-Z-Z-I-E, the number four, pdx.org. Thanks a lot, everybody, and pay attention because Portland's about to get really exciting. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> of course. Okay, y'all. So I did not forget about our six-year-old question for today. I actually asked Ozzy what six-year-old question he had. It did not record correctly, so I was just going to take his question and and tell you all the story. So he was a young boy, and he was standing on the street corner with his mother. And someone across the street, a gentleman, all of a sudden fell down and was shaking. And Ozzy said to his mother, Mommy, what's wrong with him? And... Now that he is obviously older and adult, he understands that that man was having an epileptic seizure. And so I get this question a lot. And so I wanted to still address it. And that is, what do we tell our kids when they ask about disability? And I think the other piece that goes along with that is what do we say to our kids when they experience somebody that is different than us? So like my conversation with Kennedy that I know, my daughter Kennedy, she is seven now, but we have had many conversations about mommy's skin color versus daddy's skin color versus her skin color. And we have those same conversations about how mommy's eyes work differently than her eyes do. And, you know, we have conversations about differences all the time. So it doesn't have to be disability, but I think this is the one that people really get uh, sensitive about or scared about asking and saying the right thing. So the six-year-old question is, what do we say to our children when they ask that question that makes our heart jumps up, jump up into our throats, makes us want to choke on our tongues, and we don't know how to react? That's our six-year-old question for today. So Here's what we do. Number one is start having these conversations at home before they happen. Start having the conversations about how people look different, how people act different, how people believe different. And if you start having those conversations in your home and you really want them to truly understand diversity, equity, inclusion, you have to do this when there's not the pressure and when they're uh, comfortable and you are comfortable responding. And if you don't know how to respond in the moment, it is okay to say, you know what, can mommy come back to you or can daddy or grandpa and grandma, whoever it is, can I come back to you tomorrow and we talk about this? Get out there, inform yourself, and then come back with an answer that you feel is appropriate or that you've reached out to somebody you trust, you know, and asked, hey, Emily, my daughter today asked, what's wrong with that person? 
and I didn't know how to act. Um, my story about this is a true story about Kennedy and it was around the transgender conversation. And I had just been through a training at work about how we respond to our children when they ask, is that a boy or a girl? And so I said, oh, that is a good question because I, I wouldn't know how to explain that to a seven-year-old necessarily and especially on the spot. I wouldn't want to be put in that position and not have thought about that question. Well, nevertheless, Kennedy was at work the next day. And I'll change the names in the story just for those out there. But my daughter was in my cube at work and one of my coworkers, let's call her uh, Joanne, walks up to me and Kennedy and I said, Kennedy, this is Joanne and Joanne, this is Kennedy. And Kennedy looked at me and she was probably about five at this point, five or six. Yeah, probably five. No, definitely five, because I haven't worked there long. Um, and so she said, Mommy, is that a boy or a girl? And this was the moment where my heart jumped up into my throat, and I knew the reaction I had was how she was going to see and perceive people who may or may not look like one gender or the other. And so I needed to be able to answer her without shame, without embarrassment, in a calm voice. And so right as I was get ready to, getting ready to say, well, uh, Joanne said, I'm a girl. I like to wear my sh hair short because it, I can do crazy things with it. And I like to wear a tie because it makes me feel fancy. And Kennedy looked at me and said, okay. And that right there normalized the conversation. So then later that night, she said, so mommy, can boys have long hair? I said, yes. She said, can girls have short, so girls can have short hair? I said, yes. I said, we are allowed to do what, what we want with our own bodies and we can identify how we want with our own bodies and with our minds. And so she said, okay and she went on her way she had no that's the information that went into her brain there was no shame there was no embarrassment around the question and yes joanne handled the question amazing for my for my five-year-old to understand this and i was able to keep my calm but i honestly don't know how i would have answered that question if i wasn't educated prior to that day as to make sure and normalize it versus freak out, try to come up with something on the spot. So in order to not do that, and this is with disability as well. Okay, some people use wheelchairs because um, maybe they had an injury, maybe they had, maybe they were born that way. Maybe, you know, everybody's different and bring in the differences that even exist in your family. Maybe you're part of the dominant culture, white culture, able-bodied cisgendered, and maybe everybody in your family has different color eyes. Whatever differences you can point out within your family for a child to understand, this is just another difference, and none of it is bad or good or different. It's, I mean, it's different. Not bad or good. We don't need to put a label on differences. We can celebrate them. We can highlight them and say, isn't that awesome? You know, isn't that isn't that difference 
amazing and isn't it cool that we all are different and at the end of the day we all have feelings and we all hurt and feel pain and cry and smile and laugh and enjoy life it just may look different for different people so when your kids ask number one start having that conversation now start educating yourself for that moment when somebody asks when a child asks, mommy, why is his skin brown? Why is her skin brown and my skin's white? Why is her skin white and my skin brown? You know, kids have that innocence and that curiosity. And if we as adults shut it down and shame it, that teaches them that the difference in which they're seeing in front of them is shameful, is something to hide, is something to silence. And that's absolutely not what we want to do to our children because we want them. We want them, the next generation, to be different than all of us out there. We want to have these conversations. We want to teach them how to ask respectful questions. And we as adults want to respond to children in the best of our ability to teach them and not to shame them or or you know scar them if you will if they ask a question out of curiosity so that is the six-year-old question for today definitely educate yourself read books on all different groups of equity whether it's racial gender oh disability you know age if they see a a person who is older at work you know Maybe they'll say, oh, do grandparents work? And the answer is absolutely. If they want to, all people can work and people can do all different things, you know. So it doesn't just have to be, um, you know, our, our typical diversity, equity, inclusion labels and, and uh, focuses. But we want to make sure and educate our kids on all different types of things, all different body types, all different uh, heights and weights and sizes and invisible disabilities and physical disabilities and everything but that means you have to educate yourself first and have some of those awkward conversations in your head or in your with a partner or with somebody or friend that you, you can bounce that off does that sound bad okay that kind of sounded bad when it came out of my mouth it didn't sound like that in my head so practice 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 and let's change our next generation to understand these topics that we clearly don't but we truly want to i do believe that we all have the best intention out there it's just the impact that some kind sometimes is uh is the impact that is made when we aren't prepared for these conversations so here we go. Have a great week. I hope you all enjoyed Ozzy. Check out his website. He's doing amazing things out there and he is definitely going to change Portland. Talk to y'all soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about RAPID, visit us at rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N.org. 
You can find me at emily.purry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and I can't wait to see you next week.